Hey folks, I'm John Botsett, and welcome to The Why Podcast. This is where I get to sit down with some incredible people and talk about their careers, passions, and how they've navigated struggles in their lives. For this episode, I had the privilege to sit down with filmmaker Trevor Hancock. He's filmed music videos for people like Clark Beckham. He's a video editor at DDP Yoga. He's worked on the film Death to Life by Nate Powers and host of The Portable Trevor Show. We talk about his unique experience of moving from a small town in Tennessee to a house in Atlanta with nearly half a dozen other filmmakers where they've been creating content and collaborating for over a year. We also discuss his personal influences and how he's even used a lack of opportunities in his past to propel him to a success today. Make sure you stick around to the end to hear about the Portable Trevor Show, where he live streams interviews with some pretty incredible guests. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a great conversation with my friend, Trevor Hancock. So I guess the first big question is for you, since quarantine and COVID and everything hit, how has, how has filmmaking in general changed for you? For me personally, it's, it didn't really change that much. Like, um, so I don't know if you knew this, but I live in a house with filmmakers. I live with five other people. So um, a lot of people had to stop because like they either live on their own or maybe they don't live with filmmakers because, you know, communication and, you know, um, in-person just meetings had to come to a complete halt at the beginning. So um, like I, I made, a, I've made quite a few videos in this house ever since I moved in, but um, I also, I'm blessed to have a job where I am constantly like creating and filming and editing things. So um I feel like I'm just yammering about that, but it, it, it didn't change too much for me, honestly, because uh, I'm not a Hollywood filmmaker, pretty much Hollywood at a com- to a complete halt. So th- yeah. I'm thankfully not in that kind of industry. I'm more in the, you know, internet kind of videos. So it's a completely different giant. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that that's awesome. First of all, that it didn't really affect your work that much and you've still been able to, put out those creative outlets. Um, how, how did the whole moving to Atlanta come about? What was that process like? What's it like living with all these people now? Just kind of tell me about like that whole journey and getting to you to this point. Oh man, that could take up this whole podcast. episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, first of all, um, just to let everyone know me and me and John have been friends for quite a long time. We were in the same fraternity in college. So, uh, my journey, I feel like, kind of started in college, sort of, um, but really it started when I was 15 to go even further back because I've always been interested in film and creating things. And But growing up in a small town like Cleveland, Tennessee, there's just not a lot of options. So, you know, I would express these interests to just anyone, and it was almost like I was just talking into a void, and people just, like, didn't know how to help me or they didn't know how to talk to me about these things. And... So going to the university, it helped a little bit, but the pool was just so small. You had these people that were like amazing. Like I love all of the film professors at the university. They're incredible at what they do. And they taught me a lot. And also I didn't even go to Lee for film. I went for advertising because I was too afraid to get into film. I thought I would fail just 
flat on my face if I got into film. And so I was like, you know what, I'll just do advertising because um, that seems easier. And at least at the time in my head, it did. And so I graduated in 2017 and um, life just started sucking really fast. I was like, I have this degree and I have an amazing resume. Like I worked my ass off in, in college and with all my internships and I went through all these interviews and everything and it just felt like nobody wanted me. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I thought my life was supposed to be sunshine and rainbows once I graduated. (laughs) And I think, you know, like having a college degree just does not guarantee you a job and just having even a little bit of experience doesn't guarantee you a job. And so I was only looking in Cleveland and Chattanooga, Tennessee at the time. And after a year of searching, I just immediately was like this this isn't going to work. It's there's no point in me even trying anymore. So I got a full-time job at this IT place and I worked there for an entire year and I was absolutely miserable. Like that was some of the most, that was probably the most depressing year of my life simply because I was working a job that I didn't care about and nobody wanted to help me like make a video or whatever. Like I would make silly videos with my friends but I wouldn't make, I couldn't make anything like artistic. Like it was hard to, you know, convince my friends like, Hey, you guys want to come over and make this crazy drama with me, like a short film. And they're kind of like, eh, but if I was like, Hey, you want to come make this silly sketch where we can laugh for 12 hours out of the whole day, then it was much easier to convince them to do that. So I made a couple videos that year, but, and that was in 2018. And I got the job in early February that year. And by October, I had had enough. I was losing my mind. I literally was working a job and it felt like a, like I felt like a robot. Like I would wake up to go to work. I would go in and I would go out. It felt like office space, like the early parts of that movie where he's just like a robot and he's just like, what, what is this? And I relate to that movie so hard now after working working that job (laughs) Um, uh, I, I'm definitely not going to burn my office down. Please don't. <laughs> <I told you. laughs> no, the, those people, the people there were great. So I have nothing but good things to say about them. It was just the, the job itself. And so I ha- I'd had enough by October and I still didn't quit. I was going to keep going, but, um, I had become friends with this guy named Nathan Mowry and, I I will tell anyone that this guy like saved my life. Now I wasn't like suicidal or anything, but he um he came into my life. I saw I met him through a mutual friend. Uh, his name is Jaron Lewis. He's a also an incredible filmmaker, and uh, I followed Nathan on Instagram, and I was like, wow, this guy makes the coolest films, and he lives in Atlanta, and he's from Cleveland, Tennessee, just like me. So. Um, I called him one day or I texted him. I was like, Hey man, can I call you? Like I am just down in the dumps and I I don't know if I just need a pep talk or I just want to hear your story. Maybe that'll help me. And he was like, sure, man. So we spent like an hour and a half on the phone and I kind of did what you're doing to me right now. He just, I was just like, how did you do this? Why did you do this? Like how, how are you are where you, how are you at where you are? of what you do 
And so we just like did a deep dive into that. And by the end of it, he was like, tell you what, man, why don't you come to Atlanta with me for these two days to film a music video? You can come after work and uh, let's just see what you got. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is my opportunity. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be the best PA, which is like a helper on set. If anyone doesn't know, it stands for production assistant. And I was like, I'm going to be the best PA. I'm going to get him coffee. I'm going to be attentive to everything. I'm going to ask him a million questions on set. So I went in with my friend Chase McBee and uh, Nathan was like, dude, I can tell you're really dedicated to this. And I was like, yes, I am. Like, I want this more than anything. And so a couple more months passed by and Nathan calls me and he's like, hey, man, so I have this crazy vision. I'm going to buy a house and I want to put filmmakers in it and I want you to be one of them. Like I want to help you and mentor you. And I think you living with me would be the most beneficial thing for that. And at first I said, I don't know, like a crazy person (laughs) because um, at this point I was still living with my parents. I was 25 years old, still living with my parents and um, well, actually 24 at the time, but um, I didn't, I didn't move out of my parents' house until I was 25 years old. And that just, I felt like a loser at that point. Cause I was like, I'm supposed to be this big, amazing filmmaker. And I'm still 25 living with my parents, like a typical stereotypical millennial. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, a couple months go by and eventually I said, yes, I was like, I would love to move in to, to Atlanta with you. And it wasn't sunshine and rainbows whenever I moved in. It was actually super difficult. And uh, thankfully, I saved up a lot of money from working the IT job because I made pretty good money and also, you know, lived with my parents. So plenty of money to save there. And, um, but yeah, eventually I got to, I got a job working for Diamond Dallas Page at DDP Yoga. And um, I also work for TV now for TNT and I shoot for a show called AEW. It's amazing. Um, I hope that answered your question. I've just been yeah. talking for 10 minutes. No, you're good, man. That's awesome. I, and, and to think that all of that happened, what, less than a year ago with 2019? Yeah. So I moved in April of 2019 to Atlanta. So, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I, really admired about you. And I think even more so now looking back on it was your, um, your dedication to your craft and your passion for filmmaking when it, when it seems like you really didn't have any kind of outlet at all. Um, and you were, mm-hmm. um, just going through school. Uh, we, yeah, we both know that Cleveland is not a super creative town. Um, there's not a lot of great opportunities for, for filmmakers there, unless you're in the church of God. Um, but, what was like that driving force behind your passion that kept you going for all those years, despite lack of major opportunities? I would say it's just the opportunities that were there honestly, like pushed me because um, I'm still a Christian to this day, but like if you, if I wasn't working in a church or working for like a church conference or working a youth conference in a different state for a quick gig, then it, it felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And I also don't want to talk crap about those people because uh, like I probably wouldn't be where I am if I didn't learn from those experiences. And they were, they were amazing. Like I loved working for them, but it's not what I wanted to do. I didn't feel led to do that for the rest of my life. Like 
I want to make films that, you know, bring people joy and bring people entertainment or make people think like those are usually the things that I love doing. And um, it was really just that I don't want to call it insanity because, you know, an actual insane person probably wouldn't have gone through what I went through. That was much more tame, but just not having those opportunities is what really drove me. I was like, man, I want to make music videos like Nathan does. I mean, I want to make short films like my friend Isaac Dietz does, or I want to make a feature film one day and I just can't do that in Cleveland. Yeah. And I I think for so many people that don't have this, like these checkpoints in their life at within a certain time frame, it's easy to kind of get in a rut and make excuses and lose that fire in you. Um, Mm. But that's really interesting that that lack of opportunity was what actually seemed to propel you to get where you are now. Um, Absolutely. So when you, when you kind of look back on the things that you've worked on so far, um, especially within the last year and a half, two years, even um, what, what types of projects or what project in particular do you think you're most proud of? Um, Cause just, there are a couple of things that kind of stand out to me and or at least more memorable to me and just to kind of list off a few. Um, I want to get your, your opinion here a second, but uh, okay. I, I think about like the, the music video you did for Lecrae and, and his impact and, and the whole Christian community, um, your death to life video that you guys are, it's now an award-winning film. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the project that you did um, during the whole, during that initial uh, Black Lives Matter movement called Listen, um, when Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, or the remake was announced, getting retweeted uh, by Tony himself, or uh, I, maybe one of the more memorable ones to me is you getting banned on Twitter by Brad Paisley. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a film. That was just me posting uh, that Brad Paisley got me banned from Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so when you, when you look back at the things that you've been a part of, what, what types of things are you most proud of? Um, definitely. Um, like I said earlier, I want to make films that make people think or take a step back and, uh, maybe get a new perspective on something that they wouldn't have been able to prior. And I would say, listen is probably one of the most important projects of my life. And it was something that happened very quickly. And um, I've always wanted to like make an impact on something. And um, so Listen and the Lecrae music video were kind of like intertwined. So uh, I'll talk about the Lecrae one real quick. So that's not really a music video that I did. Um, my friend Seth Kark directed it and edited it. And he did an, a phenomenal job on it. But uh, he messaged me. He's like, hey, man, I saw your film Listen, and I loved the footage. I was like, can we, uh, can Reach Records, like, buy that footage off of you? Like, we would love to use it. And I was like, absolutely. And um, uh, to give a little more context, what I'm talking about, people are like, what is this footage? <laughs> um, it, it's, it was right when um, George Floyd was murdered and the Black Lives Matter rallies started to form, and, or the protests. And there was a huge one in Atlanta that was happening uh, downtown Atlanta, like right in front of uh, Centennial Park. And me and my friend, John, ba- or uh, sorry, not your John, Bonson, <laughs> uh, John Selden, who's a phenomenal filmmaker here in Atlanta. Like I've learned a lot from him. He's also probably the best 
drone cinematographer in Atlanta. Like his, um, the shots that you see of the whole landscape and the, the, the city and all the people, uh, those were John Selden shots. Like he offered those to me and I was like, and I think that really uh, made the piece just that much more impactful to see how many people were there. Cause you know, I'm just on the ground with my little mirrorless camera, like capturing people. And then he's in the air, like, Oh my gosh, like look at all these people that, you know, care about this movement. And so growing up in a small conservative Christian town, like Cleveland, Tennessee, and again, I'm never going to badmouth Cleveland. Like it's where I'm from and I'm very proud to be from there. Yeah. They just have some rough edges. Um, just being there at the protest, I was like, I don't want to just be here and scream some words. I want to talk to people. I want to hear their stories. So I brought my camera and originally I was just going to take pictures because I was like, I think this is important. And so I brought my camera and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. And I just like walked around and I would try to make conversations with people. And there was probably 10 interviews that didn't make it into that film just because I didn't feel like they, um, you know, fit the narrative necessarily. But I mostly wanted to do it just to hear people. And the reason I, I called it listen was for one, I wanted wanted it to be a an experiment on social media just like all i typed in there wasn't like hey watch this watch this like there wasn't a lot of advertising i just posted it with the caption listen because i wanted people to not pay attention to me and i wanted to give those people a voice and just say hey listen to these people like get your head out of your ass and just listen that's that's all these people want and like you can you can crap on the riots and everything, but that's why these protests are happening because these people feel like they've never had a voice in their life. And I wanted to use uh, myself being a straight white man to be like, Hey, like actually listen to these people. They have something to say, like they are tired of what's happening. And so it was just great to listen to those people and just have a conversation and, um, hear their their trials and tribulations that they've been through because it's not been an easy journey like um there was one man i won't say which one it was but um i was going to include it but i decided not to i i asked him i was like can you tell me about a time that you maybe had a a bad experience with the cops and he told me dude where do i start and he told me like 10 different stories and it absolutely broke my heart because um one that i will tell he said that the cops just broke in one night while he was just hanging out playing video games and he told me he had been a straight a student his whole life he never done anything wrong and he was like he was literally going to college to be an animator and like he had no reason to commit any crime ever and the cops just busted in one night into his apartment and arrested him just because he fit the description and like just hearing like it's one thing to hear that on social media but to be face to face with someone is a completely different story and like i cried with him i was like this is this is like awful like this needs to stop and uh i asked those guys if i could pray for them and we did and he told me like 
he's like, Hey, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but like, I'm going to follow you on Instagram and I want to see like what you do with this. Cause I feel like you're onto something. So I was like, okay. And yeah, it was, um, it was a crazy experience to do that. And I, I'm still to this day, I'm glad that I did. Do you feel like it's the responsibility of a filmmaker to, to break down the barrier between um, the, like the incident itself or the experience that someone has gone through and the audience so that there's, they can get as intimate of an experience as possible with what actually happened? Um, that's a good question. Um, so I remember whenever I posted the film, a lot of people told me like, wow, like I did not expect this from you because, you know, I'm kind of the guy that's known for making happy go lucky videos that make you feel good. And I would say it's what you feel led to do because some people just shouldn't make films like that it's plain and simple and that's because maybe their heart isn't in the right place or they might construe the narrative of what needs to be told um i felt led to do it because of what i gathered not because of what i shot like i i just kind of wanted to i was like i don't even know if i'll use these but i just wanted to go around and make something and at the end of the day i looked through my footage and i was like i think i have something good and uh i didn't just i with a film like that i think it's also important to get a second opinion because like one wrong move and that could be really detrimental to either you or possibly the overall narrative of what's going on and it doesn't even have to be about black lives matter like if you're trying to make a film about like climate change or something like that like if you have anything that's just not factual or based in like that then you're going to get in a lot of trouble like if you put out something like that um but I, I hope that answers your question john it's just about you know i don't think it's the duty of a filmmaker to always you know save the day or something like that yeah no absolutely um yeah because i i mean especially when there's these majorly polarizing um like political movements um and this is I would say this is the most significant one probably um, or one of the most in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think a lot of times you see actors and filmmakers jump on a, like for lack of a better word, the jump on a band bandwagon because they want to be relevant and they, they just echo the words that other people have said. Um, mm -hmm. But to, to just capture the experience and the voices of the people directly impacted by these things and just, just say, that's why I thought it was important for me to not put my name anywhere on that film. I was like, you know what? Um, if somebody just posts this and doesn't credit me or anything, then I'll be fine with it. Like if somebody were to steal that film and make it their own, um, as long as they're using it to, you know, push the narrative of black lives matter or, um, you know, just a police reform or something like that. Then I was like, I'm okay with this because this piece is not about me. This is about them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's the, the superpower of filmmaking is when you, when you're able to use it in that way and, mm -hmm. and for the upliftment and the benefit of other people and not just to, to push a fictional narrative or to uplift yourself and your ego. Um, it's, 
it's using the tools that you have to, um, to better someone else and to uh, educate for lack of a better word. Um, do, do you think that there's now like a, a push for more filmmakers to politicize their work when they weren't necessarily intending to initially, or, um, or, or do you think that it's just more like a push for honest stories that don't have some kind of like political spin on it because there's, there's so much like distrust in the media and with, um, with these political figures that we see nowadays, um, do you think that more people are trying to pick a side or just tell the honest, this is what the story actually is? Yeah. Um, so I don't speak for every filmmaker, but oh, yeah. I can only speak from my own personal experience, but the only thing I ever ask of any artist, whether you're a painter a filmmaker, a graphic designer, um, at least in your own personal work, if you're doing, you know, work for ad companies or whatever, but for your own, for what you make and what speaks to your soul and what you make out of your heart um, or from your heart. Um, I just ask that you be honest. The That's some of the best art that I've ever seen come out of anyone is whenever it's just honest um, for listen, the, my piece, listen, that's about as honest as I could ever get. And that wasn't even me talking. That was just something that I put together. Um, as far as like political pushes, I, it goes back to what I said earlier. Like if you're felt, if you feel led to talk about black lives matter, or if you want to talk about the presidential election with your films, then I say, go for it. If you feel like what you say is 100% you and it's honest, then, then absolutely go for it. Otherwise, like don't bother because um, there's only so long you can put up a facade or anything like people are smarter than you think. Like people can sniff like dishonesty. I yeah. feel like that's why you see, you know, like corporate pop stars and music. That's why people like um, that love like old rock and roll that they're just like, wow, I can't resonate with this probably because it doesn't sound like what they want, but it, it just sounds like, you know, a corporate machine just like crapping out <laughs> like music. So I hope that made sense. I, yeah. I feel like with filmmaking, it's, it's my favorite art form because it's like everything. It's what I feel like it's what painters wanted originally. They wanted their work to almost feel like it had motion. It could tell a story and with filmmaking, it's just pure because it's like what you're watching is usually what you get unless you're, you know, you're doing a deep fake. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I can't speak for every filmmaker, but you know, if you, if you feel like there is a push on you and you feel like there's this cloud over you telling you to do that, then I think you might be in the wrong business because <laughs> you shouldn't, I don't know, you just shouldn't do things that. Uh, you feel like you that are just like you feel like you're being shoved on you yeah I think the mindset that you have are is similar to what a lot of other successful people have in that in this business that they're just trying to be authentic and they're not trying to be anything that they're not they're not trying to create a narrative about themselves um, you seem very just self-aware and self-determined and like just firm in who you are. Um, and I know that 
a lot of the other influences on your work are just coming from 80s nostalgia and that that look from the past um so what what of the 80s would you say are your biggest influences whether it be like film or just kind of culture in general so this new retro push with film and just uh music in general is a romanticized version of the past like uh there's a new uh, genre called synthwave that i absolutely adore it's a uh, bands like the midnight which uh let's see if i can move my head correctly this frame right here i can't <laughs> um this frame that i have hung up it's uh this band called the midnight and i just realized we don't have uh we're not doing me and john are doing a zoom call right now and i realize we're just doing audio but that's why i, I get frame, it it's fine yeah totally <laughs> um there's a frame vinyl of this band called the midnight and like when you hear it you're like wow this is the 80s but it's also not and so I kind of wanted to and put it into filmmaking, like uh, a couple of films that I've made, you can look at it and be like, whoa, that's like the eighties, but it's not <laughs> like, it's like a new variation of it. But uh, some, so it's not always just the eighties, the decade, anything that took place in that decade is what influenced me. It's also this new stuff. It's this new, like breath of life into that, that, but uh, from that decade in particular, like, just rock and roll in particular and pop music and films obviously um, definitely inspired me. Like back to the future is one of my all time favorite films. Like I could watch that probably every day for the rest of my life, but uh, which is also hilarious because the majority of the film takes place in the fifties. Yeah. Um, but just like the feel of, you know, the opening of Marty, like I'm going to be late for school. Dad, dad, dad. and he's like just skateboarding to school i was just like i'm just so captivated by that feeling and that's what i like to recreate in my 80s nostalgia films is like just that feeling whenever marty's like skateboarding like you can't help but like smile and you're just like this kid is awesome like i want to like experience that just skateboarding through the small town and uh jamming out to the power of love Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there are a lot of people who are in positions of um, power and that people like that are creators that grew up in the 80s and that were influenced in that and that they're also kind of like you just expressing their love for the ideals and their, like you said, like romanticization of that decade. Um, So like, would you, do you think that you also are like John Watts or like the Duffer Brothers and, and that kind of like style is that kind of pretty similar to who you would say you are um you know it took me a minute to realize why i like making those because at first i was doing it just because it looked cool and then the more i dove into it i was just like no i like this for a reason and the reason is um and this might be a rabbit trail but i i had a really good upbringing like growing up like you know Honestly, my childhood, it was not traumatic or anything. It was very happy. And I think the 80s feel whenever you say that word or, you know, that decade, the 80s, like you immediately think like back to better times. You're like, oh, wow, like that was that was such a good memory. Even if you didn't live through it, like you can look through the movies or the music and it just feels like just like a sweet taste of like uh, the past because it was it was such an innocent time and it just it was just a good feeling time like 
all of the commercials that you see back then. Like, what do you see whenever someone's drinking a Coke? Someone's having a good time putting on their Walkman. And that's what I want people to think whenever they buy 80s films. It's just like, wow, like that was a good time. And that made me smile. It, it felt like a warm hug. <laughs> <laughs> just optimism, optimism and hope. Yeah, because, you know, I haven't made an 80s film in quite a while and I really would like to sometime. But um, like those are my favorite films to make. And I'm very proud of Listen, but you know, 80s films is what I make. And I'm actually writing a film right now that takes place in the 90s, but it'll have a an 80s kind of feel. And I was like, you know, what? I want to write a feel-good movie. And I think that's what it boils down to. It's just like, I don't always like doom and gloom and despair films. Like I've I've made a horror film. I've made a political film. And like feel good films are just what bring me life that's what uh makes my soul sing yeah that's absolutely so when you when you think about like the 2010s and the decade mm-hmm. we just got through um in 30 years what do you think is going to um fuel the nostalgia of this decade ooh um you mean 2010 or 20 well, 2020s. like the, the 2010s, like from 2010 up till now. Um, and just to clarify, you mean like decades past or what? how people will feel nostalgic for the 2010s? Yeah. So like when, when in, in 2040, 2050, when people are thinking back to the 2010s, like this whole mm-hmm. decade, um, and they like the same feeling that you have about the 80s, what do you think people's feelings about this de- decade will be? I actually, I've had a really interesting conversation with a friend about this. Like, what it ultimately ultimately will will happen is, you know, kids from the '80s are, you know, in their 30s and 40s now, and they're the ones that are like running Hollywood and stuff like that. And that's yeah. why you that's why you get films like Stranger or a series like Stranger Things or. Uh, I'm going to blank on, you know, an eighties, like big eighties film right now, but that's why you get those films is because those guys grew up in that decade and um, kids today. I I don't, I sound like a boomer talk when I say this, like (laughs) kids today don't know what they have, but um, you know, whenever I was a kid, like I grew up in night or I was born in 94. So I only got a taste of the nineties, the nineties and, I feel like the nineties also carried over into the two thousands. So I think it's fair to say that I grew up in the nineties, but, um, you know, I miss not having a phone. I miss not having a tablet, um, because it was such an innocent time and I had to be more creative with like, you know, how I had fun and everything. Now I, I wouldn't trade this for anything, my phone, because you know, it's, um, it's the reason I'm here in Atlanta. It's the reason why I've gotten a lot of stuff done. It was, it was the thing I was holding when Tony Hawk, when I got the notification that Tony Hawk shared my video. <laughs> um, but the kids today, like I, I just like picture them in 2040 or 2050 and just them on like a rocking chair or whatever. And they're like, do you remember, you know, playing angry birds on the iPad? And I'm just <laughs> like, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> yeah. But I guess how you would have nostalgia for this is, you know, it's the same way with the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's through music. It's through film. It's through, you know, what happened. Like, um, P- 
people in my age group, like they remember 9-11. Like that was something that, you know, I've talked about many times with my peers is like, do you remember where you were when 9-11 happened? And, you know, that's not something you're going to write home about and be like, you know, I want to make a film about that, even though that's definitely happened. Yeah. But I think kids will definitely, that'll, you know, be adults in 20, 30, 40 or 50 they'll be like, wow, do you remember playing Fortnite? Or <laughs> do you remember <laughs> um, doing this at this time? Or do you remember, definitely, do you remember where you were when the pandemic started? Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you talk about like Angry Birds or Fortnite, as far as like a gaming environment goes, there's almost that same kind of optimism that people had in the 80s about like the culture mm-hmm. in general, just with the technology blooming the way it has in the last 10, 15 years that, that level of accessibility now that we have, the the speed in which technology grew, there's almost that same kind of optimism and hope about the world got so much smaller this decade that we mm-hmm. felt more connected as a as a culture. Yeah, that's that kind of tied into what I was talking about with my friends because, you know, you think the world is getting more open and more. Um, like it feels like there's nothing you can't figure out now and that's a good thing and a bad thing I think because I don't know if you guys know this but we're actually even with the pandemic we're living in the most peaceful time in history and we've actually been living in the most peaceful time in history even like even since like 2000 like even after the cold war like ended we are still living in the most peaceful time in history um, I know there's like war a little bit and the the pandemic is going on, but the world is not as fire and brimstone as you think it is. Like, and I think it's because of the media and I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I really do blame the media for making people depressed or thinking that there's no hope for the world. I try not to look at the news very much. If I pretty much, I get my news from Twitter like I follow very reliable sources, I think. Um, don't listen to your aunt on Facebook. <laughs> like when she posts those memes, she's not, there's nothing factual about it. It's literally just a graphic that someone made in five minutes. So um, I guess the quick message from all that is be careful where you get your media. <laughs> I Yeah, I think what John Krasinski proved is that um, with his uh, Some Good News a uh, little series that he did is that people do have that craving for um, to hear the the good that's going on in the world. And even though the negativity is really what sells in media nowadays, I, there's that strong, I think, desire and hunger for, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it more truth, but um, just that, that recognition that like, yes, all this negativity is happening, but we also want the good to be captured and we want to recognize the positive things that are going on in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved John Krasinski's show like while he did it, I hate that he sold it, (laughs) but um, I, whenever I saw that show, I was like, wow, this could be a game changer. But then I also thought, you know, they're, they're not the first, you know, good news publication. Like there's, um, uh, Ashton Kutcher has one that he runs that's really good. I follow it. But when you look at your Twitter feed and your Facebook feed, like you're never going to see your feed filled with good news ever. Mm-hmm. That's just never going to happen. 
like I feel like naturally humans are just drawn to negativity no matter like what the circumstances are you may think that oh man I like you hear people say like I can't stand to watch the news but you still watch it because yeah. you're still drawn to it and you know I am too to a certain degree like whenever I see you know I, I'm really into the YouTube world whenever I see YouTube drama I'm like oh shoot what did Leaf, Leafy do uh, Leafy <laughs> got banned recently if anyone cares <laughs> but um but yeah I think um like good news is definitely needed in this world at this time yeah and and just kind of speaking about shows and and content creators in general um you have a have a show called portable trevor um so so talk to me a little bit about how that started um some experiences you've had from there and um if anything has changed for positive or negative uh during everything with covid yeah um so I still don't know what the show is called. I've just been calling it the Portable Trevor Show. I'm trying to think of a cool name, but I guess I might stick with that since I'm 43 episodes in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it started because one, I've always wanted to do a talk show. Like I've always wanted to do something like this. And I didn't want to call it a podcast because, and this is definitely no offense to you, John. I think what you're doing is great, but I am I know everyone. The stigma of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, people, when someone hears like, Hey, you want to start a pot or do you want to be on my podcast? Then people kind of tune out. But so I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to reframe it and be like, Hey, you want to be on my talk show and we'll do it live <laughs> and people can live comment. And I just like loved the idea of that. So I was like, you know what? I'll just do it. And I found this app called StreamYard. It's a website where um, it took out the whole middleman of like setting everything up because sometimes I am technologically deficient with, you know, the complexities of live streaming because that is not an easy thing to do. Um, so I use StreamYard and honestly, I was just like, you know what, let's just see where this takes me. So I interviewed my friend, Matt, who's a filmmaker, and I was just like talking to him and he was like, dude, that was really good. Like you're um, I kind of wanted to do what you're doing right now. I wanted to keep it a conversation. I didn't want it to be like, so tell me how you got started. Like, tell me how you got in the business because there's millions of podcasts that do that. And it's so boring to me. Like uh, I kind of modeled, wanted to model my show more after uh, Dax Shepard. I don't know if you've heard of his podcast, Armchair yeah. Expert. It is fantastic. Um, and Joe Rogan, of course, like I think he's an excellent communicator. Mm-hmm. Um so those are my two inspirations. But yeah, I just started it because it was a month after the pandemic started. And I started to get bored after, because I, I still was working from home. Like, thank God I was able to keep my job. But, um, you know, work would be over. And then me and all my roommates, we would watch a movie or watch a TV show. Like, that was our routine. We'd work all day. And then we'd come home and be like, all right, what are we watching tonight? Probably like a lot of you did. If you had a roommate or uh, a partner to you know, sit on the couch with and watch something. I'm sure you and uh, your wife did something. We watched The Office so many times. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I think a lot of people did that. Yeah. Um, so I guess eventually I got tired of it. I was like, you know what? This is something I've always wanted to do, so I'm just going to do it. And it's been an absolute blast. Like, like I said, I've had 43 episodes, and some of my favorite guests I've had on were Aaron Tuning. He was a big Vine star back in the day and uh grant kirkhope he was a composer for the video game banjo kazooie 
Oh my and gosh. More recently, I had Rich Ward, who's a guitarist for Fozzie, which is a Chris Jericho's band. Yeah, I, uh, I I tuned into that one, and yeah, like the like the nostalgia talk that you guys had, his insight into rock, and I I just I love like like you like you said like I love this idea of just a casual conversation um, where it just feels so much more natural, and I feel like you you're not like like you as a guest you don't seem like you're on edge and you're like, you're just like rigid and waiting for the next thing. Like we're just, we're in this together and we're just kind of talking it out. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, I just, I don't know, man. Like I, I think this is, I hope what the next like phase of things is. of just like real authentic conversation between people where it doesn't feel staged or framed in any way. Um, And I I really appreciate that about your show too. Um, Did because one one of the podcasts that I listen to is um, the ID Ten T by Chris Hardwick, and uh, he's always talked about since COVID and being able to just do these Zoom chats. Um, it's been so much easier for him to get guests that would never go to the West Coast where he lives and has a studio. Um, like he just uh, interviewed Jane Goodall the other day, um, and has had people from all over the world speak with him. Um, did did has this made it easier for you as a, as a creator to get guests that you want? Um, or is this kind of, is this all, are the people that you've spoken with always who you envision speaking with? Oh, absolutely. Like um, Grant Kirkhope, he lives in California and I have never been in on the West coast of my entire life. So I don't know if I'll ever get to meet him one day, but like um, my roommate, Nathan, uh, he's, he was like, dude, take full advantage of this right now like cap like you really need to capitalize on this and i was like oh i absolutely will so you know i i've sent hundreds of emails out to like asking like my heroes that i grew up with like is definitely a shot in the dark but like i found i tried to find so many ways to find like people that um like either online personalities or just uh just someone that i've always had like interest in like um one guy that I had on a couple months ago, which was Bob Burgeon, who is the voice of Porky Pig. <laughs> that was an insane episode. I was like, wow, you're, you're right in front of me. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you know, you were like a, a movie that I loved growing up was Space Jam. And I was like, dude, you were in Space Jam. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you, the whole six degrees of separation thing, you through him now know Michael Jordan. So you can. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so do you like through your show, um, I guess as we're kind of just wrapping this up, um, do you have anything you want to promote or that you have in the works that you maybe want, like want to hint at at all, or what's kind of going on with you? Um, so I guess another thing that we kind of touched on, which was, uh, I, I worked on a documentary. I was the assistant director and uh, DP for it, which is uh, a documentary called death to life. I did it with my friend, Nate powers. Um, I wouldn't call that my film at all. It's 100% his, but um, very proud of it. It's making uh, film festival runs right now. Um, we are, we won an award recently at a Christian festival, um, hoping to put it out into more festivals soon. Hopefully some like, you know, Oscar contenders, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, some stuff that I'm working on right now, I have two documentaries that I'm working on. One is about my friend, Adam Nyes, who is a Lego animator. He is amazing at it. And I've always like wanted to document that process. So I'm putting that together right now. Um, 
there's another documentary. I can talk about it another day. If you ever want to have me again, I'd love to. Oh, absolutely. Appreciate that. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't really have anything that I can really promote. If you want to follow me on anything, everything I have is portable Trevor at portable Trevor. Um, you can follow me on Twitch too, twitch.tv slash portable Trevor, YouTube, youtube.com slash portable Trevor. Yeah, awesome. that's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I It's been so much fun finally getting to catch up with you. I mean, we haven't really spoken a whole lot since college, it feels like. Yeah, um, for real. Uh, but I, yeah, I thank you for taking time to do this. Um, yeah, I would, I would love to have you back on here. Um, we're going to hopefully get this posted in a couple weeks uh, since we're recording this at the end of, uh, end of August. Um, but yeah, man, I'll, I'll keep you posted and uh, stay, stay safe with all the COVID out there. Um, and uh, just keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. I, you're, I think you're really onto something. I, you've got such a unique style from what I think a lot of people are trying to do nowadays. And I, I just see nothing but success in your future. So I, I'm really, really proud to know you. Dude, thank you so much. Like, I definitely feel like I've come a long way um, since I started because I would have never, if you would have told me I would be where I am like two years ago, I would have told you you were insane. So um, it's great to share my story and I'm I'm glad to be on your podcast to tell it. <laughs> Thanks, man. So uh, thank you very much for your time and um, we'll, we'll definitely be catching up soon, man. Heck yeah. Woo. <laughs> Bye. Cool.